Merry Christmas again. We are thinking about surprises. There are so many surprises in this story. Now, last week after I preached, a number of people in the church came up to me and actually asked me, are those crazy stories true about your family, the electric broom and, you know, those, the briefcase kind of things? They are true. They really are. But I, I decided I really needed to share one more that's a little closer to home because she's actually in the room today. 37 Christmases ago, I was the first of three brothers to bring home a girl for Christmas. My dad was so thrilled to have a daughter, and my mom was so thrilled to have another female in the house. And my two brothers were thrilled to have a sister. Now, Anne grew up in a house where everything was so sweet and clean and nothing like the house I grew up in. So she was so excited and felt so welcomed by my family on Christmas. So Christmas morning, she was thrilled to see a box under the tree for her from my brothers. Now, she had told the family that there was a new kind of piece of jewelry that she really wanted to get. And if you know her, this would make sense. She chose something that didn't cost that much, but over the years you could add pieces to, and it was called an add-a-bead necklace. Several people have told me they remember those. So it was just a little thin uh, wire, and then you add beads over time, and she thought, well, even Don, my new brothers can, can figure that out. So... <clears throat> She got that box. She read carefully. It was from Bob and Terry, who actually have been members of this church in the past. She popped it open, and to her complete astonishment was not one or two little beads. Hundreds. Hundreds. The box was full. They were almost falling out the sides. There were so many. In her excitement, she looked up at them and her mouth had dropped open because it looked like they had spent thousands and thousands of dollars on her Christmas present. She had not noticed that those little gold beads were actually smaller than the ones that she had seen in the catalog because they had gone to the sports store and bought a tube of BBs and poured the whole tube into that very special jewelry box that actually was supposed to have a real bead in it and they had that hidden away. Surprises. Surprises. They are so attached to Christmas. In those days, Caesar Augustus. I don't know if you've been watching the news the last couple of days, but just, I believe it was on Friday, there was a new announcement that archaeologists had announced that they had actually found the site of a famous battle that took place in the Netherlands 55 B.C., 50 years before this occasion that we're reading about, when Julius Caesar had taken his Roman uh, armies north to extend the empire into Germany. And in that campaign, he had come across two German tribes who had already been displaced by warfare with other tribes. And after they asked him, could they align with him and join his army, he gave them certain conditions and they told him that they were going to go back and talk to their people to make sure that was okay. 
he refused and immediately sent his legions to attack these two tribes. They attacked the camps of the women and children first and killed every single one of them and then drove the men into the river. The men, you can see the battle site is uh, where two rivers converge and they were had no place to escape and many of them actually drowned in the river trying to get away. Julius Caesar. Julius Caesar. When Julius Caesar died... He named his grandnephew Octavian as his heir, who took his name Caesar, and then later after he became the primary leader of the Roman Empire, named himself Augustus, which means magnified one, exalted one. He's not just a Caesar, he was the exalted magnified Caesar. Luke, in writing this story, knew that this was the most powerful Roman leader that there had ever been. He didn't know that even now, 2,000 years later, we can look back and say, Caesar Augustus was the greatest emperor. In fact, the first emperor. He was the first who took a republic with a senate and votes and turned it into an empire under a dictator. That was this Caesar Augustus. He was the one who decided that Rome should be turned into a showcase to declare his own greatness and turned it into a marble city which cost billions of dollars in today's world and required taxes. He expanded the empire and sent out his legions across the known world and again, requiring taxes. Caesar Augustus was ambitious, he was manipulative, he was ruthless. He allied himself with two men, Lepidus and Mark Antony, to overcome those who had killed Julius Caesar, and then later turned on them and destroyed their enemies and killed them until there was no one left to threaten his absolute power. He marched on Rome with eight legions, and with those legions who were submitted to him, camped right outside the city, the city turned to him in absolute submission, and his rule was never seriously questioned again. On a monument that he had set up for himself, he wrote these words, His birth as a God begins good news for the whole world. I wonder if Luke knew those words. Historians writing during his time called him the savior of the whole world who established peace at the end of a sword. Today, this Caesar Augustus is known throughout the world. People all over the world today will mention his name. Not so much because we remember his name in a certain month of the year, my birth month, or that he was the greatest emperor of the Roman Empire, we remember him today sitting in this room because the words declare it. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken 
and a peasant carpenter and his betrothed wife left Nazareth and went to Bethlehem, the place that had been foretold centuries before would be the birthplace of the Savior. You see, the surprise in that first verse is that Caesar Augustus had absolutely no idea what he was doing in God's plan for the ages. In God's plan for the nations, he was an instrument of God himself to bring this story about as we read it and celebrate it today. The greatest emperor of Rome, a simple tool in the hand of God. Verse 8 says, And there were shepherds living out in the field nearby, keeping watch. Rather ironic that they play such an important part in this story because in that particular time, as the economy was growing and trade was growing, shepherds were not held in such high esteem as they had been in other times. They were considered dirty, uncouth, and dishonest. If something disappeared from the village, the village leaders would get together and say, well, it's probably those shepherds out there. We never can trust them. In fact, the shepherds were not allowed to give testimony in a court of law. They were just considered not worthy. Not somebody you could trust. And here they were outside the little town of Bethlehem. Five miles from Jerusalem. Just south of Jerusalem, about the same distance from our church to San Quentin, just five miles through those hills. Bethlehem that shows up repeatedly in the Old Testament, but especially we see it again in that story of Boaz and Ruth, where Ruth is out in perhaps even these same fields, picking up extra grain to feed herself and Naomi the birthplace of David and where David was when Samuel came looking for him. The place prophesied to be the birthplace of the Messiah in Micah, a passage we'll look at again next week. But in God's story, going all the way back, the one that we heard again this morning, shepherds play a significant part repeatedly, don't they? What was Abraham doing all that time in the land of Canaan? but raising sheep. What was Moses doing after he fled Egypt at the age of 40? For 40 more years, what was he doing out there in the wilderness? Raising sheep. Again, David, a shepherd boy, who learned to be a warrior facing wild animals and a songwriter sitting there perhaps singing lullabies to the sheep. I don't know, do sheep like lullabies? I have a feeling that they heard the Psalms before any of us did. And then in God's history, Jesus, who John declared to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, but who himself declared that he was the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Ezekiel had declared it, one day I will send my servant David again to be the shepherd, the good shepherd for my people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you 
He is Christ the Lord, a Savior. The Lord saves Jesus. One meant to change the lives of millions of people through all the ages. One who has found us and saved us. Born there in a little tiny town. Laid in a manger, a feed trough. Now I'm assuming they cleaned it out first. But it was a dry place, perhaps a soft place with hay in it but a feed trough. And the announcement went to men that were almost outcasts, certainly looked down upon. What a surprise. What a surprise. We're told that first one angel shone himself there in the night, still glowing from the glory of God because he had just come from God's presence, And then later a whole host, the host of heaven, came down and appeared to these poor shepherds in the middle of nowhere. Why not in front of the temple? Why not in Jerusalem? Why not in Rome? God chose to bring the greatest news, the greatest announcement in the history of the world to the simplest people. Because His love starts... With those. And I'm so grateful because that includes me. I don't have to be wealthy. I don't have to be intelligent. I don't have to be educated or powerful or living in the right place. His love extends to the shepherds and it extends to me and to you. That is the Savior that we celebrate. And the surprise... Even after 2,000 years as we read it, we go, wow, isn't God surprising in His love and His power and in this amazing story? I want to point out just briefly three things that the shepherds do in response to this announcement. In verse 15, it says, they say to one another, they're talking about this announcement, and they say, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. No doubts in their mind. They saw the angels. They know this is true. And they're not satisfied to sit out there outside the town. They want to see it themselves. They want to experience this miracle on a personal level. They sought Jesus out. And after that, they went all over telling everyone that they met this amazing news and what they had seen. Oh, they don't have degrees in theology. They're not even good members of society, but it didn't matter to them. They could not help but declare they had seen the Messiah. They had met the miracle. They bore witness to all that they knew. And that was enough for the news to spread. And then as they went back out to their field, perhaps to find the scattered sheep and get them all back together now, it said that they praised and glorified God from their hearts. This Christmas is our opportunity to respond to this gift from God in the same way. 
to seek Him every day. In the midst of the busyness and the shopping and the cooking, taking care of the children and all the exciting things that take place over the next two weeks. In the midst of all that, to find time to stop and to seek this Savior personally. In the moment, to connect with Him because He is here. Secondly, to declare Him. We declare Him through that Lottie Moon Christmas offering that comes this time every year. But we also declare Him this time of year. It is so easy to say a word to people you meet, some that you may not know, and just say, I'm celebrating Christ this Christmas. Jesus is real to me this Christmas. And to lift up your voice in praise. Now, I love to sing with you on Sunday mornings. But I do it in the car. Sometimes I do it in the shower if my neighbors are up, I hope. I want to sing praise to Him. Because this is truly an amazing, surprising gift for each of us.